the name above all names. How great you are, God. You're worthy of all praise. And it's our privilege to be here in your presence today. A wonderful Savior. A wonderful Counselor. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the ability to be here to worship you. In Jesus' name. Today, in our series on the book of Revelation, we're going to dive right into the seven seals that unleash the seven judgments at the end of time, including the four horsemen of the apocalypse, a time which Jesus said, and I'm quoting him, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Let me sketch out. How, what we'll be digging into today. It's a section known as the Seven Seals, where each one, when opened, unveils a judgment. The first three sets of judgments that we'll find in the Bible. You have the Seven Seals, which are then followed by the Seven Trumpets, which are then followed by the Seven Bowls. The first four of these opened seals are what's commonly known as the Four Horsemen, of the apocalypse. And it all begins with John experiencing another set of visions. Because, after all, that's really what Revelation is all about. It's a series of visions that John experiences and then shares with us. First, it takes him into heaven itself, to the very throne room of God the Father. And then Christ enters the picture. So we have a vision of God the Father and then a vision of Christ and God together. As those two visions are described, we'll get into what we called the first week is a little bit of weird things that we find in Revelation. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Then each of the seven seals is broken. And the nature of what happens to the inhabitants of the earth is spelled out. And if we're honest, it won't be all that pretty of a picture at times. See, each set of seven gets progressively worse. So by the time you unleash the seven bowls, it's downright a nightmare. And there, there are also a few things introduced between the sixth and the final seventh seal. We'll talk about the 144,000, about martyrs. We're going to look into all of that as we get there. And then comes the unsealing of the seventh and the final seal. So if you're ready, let's, let's jump in. We start with the vision that John was given of God. It says this, Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw the throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, 
and rumbles of thunder. And in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass sparkling like crystal. So here we have John being given a, a vision of heaven and the, and the very throne room of God with the promise that he will be shown what will happen in the days to come. There's a kind of a twofold fulfillment of this. There's a, it's fulfilled in a small scale during John's day, but then looking forward to its final and most complete fulfillment at the end of time. Now, you don't get a, the detailed description of God the Father that you did of Christ in the first chapter. And there's a reason for that. See, the Bible teaches us that, that no one can look upon the face of God the Father, at least not on this side of things, and live. When, when on Mount Sinai, Moses asked to see God, and he was told he couldn't and live, because it would be too much for him. He was only allowed to see the backside of God after he had passed. So when Moses came down off the mountain, the people were afraid of him and ran in terror. He so radiated light and energy and power and majesty that they were terrified. And that just from a man who saw the back of God. But here, John reaches for a descriptive imagery of gemstones and emeralds and rainbows, a combination of unapproachable light. And then he mentions these 24 thrones surrounding the throne of God on which sat 24 elders. So who are these 24 elders? Now, we don't have a definitive answer to that. Some say it's just 24 angels. But I have a different opinion, and I've seen many people agree with this. There are, after Jesus rose from the grave, in Matthew 27, we read this. It says, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. We then read in Ephesians this about that same group of people. This is what the scriptures say. When he ascended, meaning Jesus, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. See, I believe those 24 elders are those people who were raised when Jesus was resurrected. That they went to heaven. I wish I can imagine in my mind who they might be. Purely guesswork. But I can imagine who they would be. You know, think of your, your favorite Bible characters, the ones who really did good work, that maybe they are one of those 24 elders. But ultimately, we don't know for sure. But they weren't the only ones there. We are told of seven torches of burning flames representing the sevenfold spirit of God. And you can't understand revelation given to John apart from the understanding of one of the basics of the Christian faith, the Trinity. And if I'm honest, do I 100% understand the Trinity? No, 
I don't think I will till I get to heaven. It's, it's one of those things that, that you try to graph, you try to figure out what exactly it means, but you might not ever get it this side of earth. But the Trinity is the idea that when it comes to the nature of God, you're talking about a Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three separate gods, but three persons who are one God. And I, I read a survey this week that was a bit disturbing, if, I, if I'm honest. It was talking about, it was a survey of Christians. Not a survey of the world outside of Christ, but a survey of Christians. And it showed that 62% of Christians do not believe in the Trinity. That's in the church. They think that the Holy Spirit is just some power. There was 53% that believe that Jesus was a created being, that God created Jesus. 53% of Christians don't believe that Jesus is God. We have a lot of work to do in the church still. Not three gods, but three persons who are one God. And in, in Revelation, God the Father is often referred to as the one who is, who always was, and the one who is to come. The Holy Spirit is often referenced as a sevenfold spirit before the throne of God. You have then the risen Jesus, the Christ. See, this reference to the Holy Spirit being sevenfold is, is not only a potential reference to the unique ministry that the Holy Spirit has in the seven churches that John talked about as we went through last week, but also the use of seven as a, as a number indicating perfection, completeness, which is often how it's used throughout the Bible and, is, and, and extensively in the book of Revelation. But let's keep reading. In the center... And around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes front and back. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day and night after night, they kept keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Well, all right, I told you we were going to get in a little weird stuff today, and, and this is one of, those, one of those times in Revelation that we get to some weird imagery. Around the throne of God, we're told that there are four living beings, angels that are covered with eyes. The idea seems to be that they were constantly watching over everything, knowing everything, had eyes to see whatever was going on. But they had four very different appearances, a lion, an ox, a man, an eagle. Why four different appearances? See, each of these represent God's created order in a different way. Humankind, the man, is the head of all creation and noted for our intelligence. The lion is seen as a chief of the wild animals and is noted for its ferocity. The ox is a chief of the domesticated animals and is noted for his strength. And the eagle is a chief of all the birds of the air and noted for his freedom. 
The entire scene is almost a direct mirror of what the prophet Isaiah recorded when he was given a glimpse of the throne room of God. Even down to what they were saying about God in his presence, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You see, when the Greek language repeats a word, it's not done for poetic style or even impression. It's, it's a device used for saying something significant. Repetition indicated importance. In the English, we would use an exclamation point, maybe underline it or raise our voice when we said it. They repeated themselves. So when something was repeated twice, Something very significant was being said or a point was being emphasized. But you can imagine when something is repeated three times, the strongest statement possible was being made. And there's only one attribute of God. Throughout the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, only one attribute that's repeated three times. And this is it. It's his presence of God is declared to be holy, holy, holy. You'll never find that God is love, 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 though he obviously is loving. You'll never find him to be mercy, 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 even though he is very merciful. But when it comes to him being holy, it's only said, holy, holy, holy. Holiness has to do with being without sin, without blame, being pure, being perfect. But there's more to it than that. You see, the word itself literally means to be set apart, to be separate, to be wholly different, to be completely other. This is the first vision of God. It simply ends with this. It says, whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. So next, come, next we come to the vision of Christ, and it involves him as a lamb. You see, the lamb is the most common title of Jesus in the book of Revelation, used 28 times throughout the book. But let's get a little background to that description. See, the Old Testament sacrificial system and how Jesus fulfilled it. In ancient times, the Bible taught that, that God decreed the payment for wrongdoing, for sin, could be covered through the blood of an animal and through a contrite heart. So though our rebellion deserved death, God's love allowed for our sin to be addressed through the sacrifice of an animal. That seems strange to us in this day and age, but it was very intentional by God. He wanted the people to see the severity of their sin. He wanted the people to see that paying for sin that comes between us and him is messy 
is gruesome and is costly because sin is messy, gruesome, and costly. The sacrifice was a substitute for the sinner. It bore the sinner's guilt, which is where we get the term scapegoat from, because there's an annual day of atonement on which the priest made atonement for all the sins of the people of the community. The scapegoat was the goat on which the sins of all the Israelites were symbolically transferred on the day of atonement. And then it was sacrificed. The sacrificial system was only a sign of what God was going to do in the future. The great prophets of God said that there would be one who would come from God, the Messiah himself, who would take away all the sins of the world once and for all. Jesus was the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. And because of him, we can now be forgiven once and for all, each and every one of us. Or as John the Baptist said upon seeing Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So with that as our background, reading what John has to say next will make a lot more sense. Then I saw a scroll. In the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne, there was writing on the inside and outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David, to David's throne, he has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. It was now standing before the throne and the four living beings and, and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words You are worthy to take the scroll. And break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and of the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang 
blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the 24 living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the Lamb. Powerful, amazing scene. Here enters Jesus, the one who gave his life as a lamb to sacrifice for the sins of the world, for, for my sins, for your sins. He had won the victory. He had shed his glory, assumed human form, lived the perfect life, gave it all up to be crucified, to rise again, and then to ascend into heaven. He alone is worthy to open the seven seals. Beyond being seen as a lamb that is being slaughtered and brought back to life, he is marked by seven horns and seven eyes. A little more of that weird in Revelation, but the horns represent power. And seven is a number of perfection, completion. Jesus is seen not only as a lamb that was slain for the sins of the world and brought back to life, but the one who holds perfect, complete power over death. And, and again, the Trinity is in play with the Lamb also reflecting the sevenfold spirit. For that is what we're told the seven eyes represent. And there's only one response to a risen Christ. The Lamb of God who died to take away this, all of our sins. There's only one response. Heaven erupts in celebration. That should be our response when we think of a risen Jesus. So what happens next? Christ begins to open the seals. Well, let's walk through each one of them. First one, as I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on its head and he rode out to win many battles and to gain the victory. See, here we have the first of what's known as the four horses of the apocalypse, unleashed at the end of time on the inhabitants of the earth. Whenever you see the phrase inhabitants of the earth in the book of Revelation, it's always in reference to those who aren't faithful to God. Those in open rebellion to the things of God, those who aren't in a relationship with him. The first of these horses on a white horse which represents victory. The color of each of these horses tells us about the horse and the rider and what they're getting ready to do. White stands for victory, red for blood, black for famine, pale green or gray for death. That first rider is widely seen as a spreading of the gospel throughout history. It's victory, the gospel being spread. The second seal we see then. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take the peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. 
red representing blood. This rider represents wars that will consume this world. There will be conflict on the earth. The third seal. When the lamb broke the third seal, I heard a third living being say, Come, and I looked up and I saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. This is the rider which brings judgment, which is why he has a scale of justice in his hand. I always love it when I see some legal te terminology in, in, in the book of the Bible. It brings my two worlds together, and it reminds me that I'm not in the middle of a murder trial, so whatever. Um, scales of justice in his hand, and the judgment is famine, both a literal famine, but also a spiritual famine. Perhaps that's why so many people don't believe that Jesus is, is God, or they don't believe in the Trinity. It's made clear with the voice from among the four living beings calling out the prices of things for that day. So you see, for that day, those prices would have been exorbitant, 11 to 16 times the going rate. Makes you think about some prices today, doesn't it? When you see the gas prices go up, and I drive by in my electric car thinking, I don't care. Um, but... When you look at gas prices and you see the prices in this world and everything going up, a sign of this, maybe. Then comes the fourth seal and the fourth and final horse of the apocalypse. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death and his companion, the grave. And the two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. See, this is the only one of the horsemen who, who has a companion. The rider kills the companion, gathers the souls into its domain. Together, they're allowed to kill one-fourth of the world's population using the sword, famine, disease, and animals. We next come to the fifth seal where we read this. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyrs, had joined them. A few things here. First, a white robe symbolizes blessedness and, and purity, another sign of victory. Second, there is a special place for martyrs in the heart of God. He cherishes them. Third, that while they cried out for vengeance and justice, 
they were told to wait just a bit longer until those who also had to be martyred in the future would join them. They are told directly that there would be additional martyrs. Then comes the sixth seal. In the sixth seal, John tells us, I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became dark as black cloth. The moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all of the mountains and islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who is able to survive. This seal reflects the very shaking of the cosmos and is described in terrifying ways, earthquakes, darkening of the sun, the moon turning blood red, the stars falling from the sky, the sky rolled up, the mountains and islands moved. It reads an awful lot like Matthew chapter 24. And many of these have already been fulfilled. It's no wonder the people wanted to hide in the caves. And in the vision, it's clear to John that this terror affected everyone. He specifically mentioned seven groups of people from kings to slaves. They all went into hiding. It impacted everyone on the face of the earth. Now, before the seventh and final seal is broken... Some things had to happen in heaven, in, in the throne room of God. And, and here's what John records. Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming up from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to the four, four angels who had been given power to harm land and sea, Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel, from Judah, 12,000. From Reuben, 12,000. From Gad, 12,000. From Asher, 12,000. From Naphtali, 12,000. From Manasseh, 12,000. From Simeon, 12,000. From Levi, 12,000. From Issachar, 12,000. From Zebulun, 12,000. From Joseph, 12,000. And from Benjamin, 12,000. So, what is all of this about? First, it speaks of four angels at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of utter destruction. Their use of, for destruction in regard to the end times is temporarily put on pause. They're told to wait, to, to keep everything restrained until the 144,000 was sealed. Now, 144,000 is not a literal number. 
And we should be happy of that. So if you think of everyone who's ever lived in this world, 144,000, our odds of winning the lottery would be better than that. It doesn't even represent actual members of the Jewish tribes that it lists. But rather, it's symbolic of those who are faithful. And by the way, there are some religious fringe groups and cults who teach that that is a literal 144,000. But we should be happy that it's not. But that's not what you have here. The reference to the 144,000 is a reference to a seal that would be put on the foreheads of all of God's servants before the end would come. It's only the seal here is in reference to the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's, the idea is not that they will always be protected from persecution, but that they will be empowered to stand firm under the persecution, and if need be, to die as a martyr without compromising. See, one more thing is revealed to John before the opening of the seventh seal. He says this, After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and worshiped God. They sang, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these who are clothed in white? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones who died. In the great tribulation, they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. This is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun for the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd and he will lead them the springs of life-giving water and god will wipe every tear from their eyes there is one this is one of the first direct reference by name to the tribulation before we get into the seventh seal let's do a quick overview of what we mean when we talk about the tribulation. Tribulation is a period at the end of time when the Antichrist rises to power and rules over the world. It's, a, it's the culmination of Satan's great rebellion against God. Tribulation will be a time of great evil and suffering. But the point here is that, yes, it's coming. Yes, it's going to be bad, but it won't last forever. And who goes through it? Everyone. Apparently everyone who's alive at that time, including those of us who believe. 
we'll dig into the tribulation in weeks to come, but now that at least explains for now what we're talking about, which brings us to the seventh seal. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. Now let's stop there. The seventh and final seal was so sobering that before it could even be read, all of heaven went silent. Why? We find out next. It says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Then another angel with gold incense, a gold incense burner, came and stood at the altar, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth. And thunder crashed and lightning flashed and there was a terrible earthquake. What was it that made heaven grow silent? The seventh seal, which unveiled the seven angels and their seven trumpets. And that is what we'll turn to next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have the ability to read the book of Revelation and to understand it. Thank you that we have this open book, that it doesn't have to be a closed book, Lord. We thank you that as we read these messages... At times, they can be scary. At times, they can be troubling. But we know that you, Jesus, are the risen Lamb. That you've taken our sin upon you. That we don't have to carry those burdens anymore. That you are our Savior. And are here to save us. 